Welcome to the Chantal Hyde Canada's Dating Coach Podcast, where you'll learn to love and be loved. Come understand how powerful you are and share in our common experiences so that we can all grow together. Like Chantal loves to say, let's do this. Okay, so we're talking about sex today because that's why you're here. Yes. That's I, here. I love talking about sex. I love helping people with their sex life. I love making sure people are comfortable and have permission for whatever it is that they like, as long as it's, you know, sane, safe, and consensual. Absolutely. And permission is a big word, I find, because with permission, I leveled up into a higher version of myself. And sometimes we don't realize we need that permission. Yeah. So that's why we're here today, because I really want people to give themselves permission to step into themselves sexually. Um, You know, my, if you know me, you know, I used to be a stripper. If Mm -hmm. you watch my last TikTok, you know, I brought my husband to swingers clubs, not because I'm a swinger. And this comes into like the authenticity of your sexuality and doing it your way, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Some strip clubs where everything happened. And my rule was, you don't get to touch my boobs or between my legs. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't care if the girl beside me was blowing somebody. You don't touch my boobs or between my legs. So no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstance, you always get to define your own sexuality. When I stepped into yes. the swingers club, I was a voyeur and an exhibitionist, and I did not want to partake with you. And so in Swingers Club, as you know, people need to ask permission before they touch you. And my answer was no, thank you. Good. And that's the thing that I think so many people don't understand is that you get to write the rules. And part of that also is a lack of education. I mean, if, if all they're seeing about strip clubs and swingers clubs is what they get through movies or the media that can really give an inaccurate portrayal of what those actual scenes look like. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. And, and every club can be slightly different. You know, some, some clubs aren't as strict about the consensual touch rule. Oh. So I think it's important too to find out, like, does the club that you want to go to really enforce those things, find some people in your community that have already gone and find out what is the vibe like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that permission piece to actually set your own boundaries and then know that you can stick to them yes. is important. And I, you know, just kind of like as, as you know, a tip about swingers clubs, for those of you who were thinking about it, that kind of thing, um, because I want, I want to, the next question I want to ask you is what is the most common thing that you deal with when it comes to couples and intimacy? But I want to say to people who are considering going to sex clubs, Always make sure you nail out the terms and conditions, the rules of conduct before Mm -hmm. you go. Don't change them in the environment. If you consider changing them in the heat of the moment, don't change them. Stick to the rules you set out before and then have the conversation out of the environment afterwards. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, this girl came up and said, you know, can I join you? And you looked at me and you said, yes, but I didn't want to break those rules that we set out before. I wanted to talk to you about it when we were no longer in it because we can change the rules, but don't change them in the heat of the moment, change them outside of the moment and then go back with the new rules. Absolutely. That was an important thing that I learned from a dominatrix years ago, Hudsey Hahn. She said, you know, we always have to make sure that we set the rules of engagement before we get into either playing a scene or going into the club, 
because in the moment, I mean, you talk about this, about how kissing is an aphrodisiac, like being in the moment at a sex club and having everything just flowing through your system can have a really similar effect. And she likened it to, to being high or being a little drunk. Like you may have consented to something in that moment and truly be okay with it, but because you didn't do it beforehand, when you were level and when you were semi-sober, then you really need to wait until the next time you put that on your, your list for the next adventure. Mm-hmm. So what is the most common thing you face with people? It does depend on whether it's male or female. I do see some very different things between, especially my single males and females. Okay. Um, with couples, a lot of times it's mismatched libido. Right. You know, one person wants it more than the other. Uh, someone has stopped participating in the intimacy um, or someone sees intimacy as being one thing. And the other person wants to broaden what her uh, intimacy means in the, the coupleship. But with my singles, a lot of times it's women not knowing how to date and how to watch out for guys that aren't in it for what they're in it for. Mm-hmm. And for my single men, it's not wanting to be a creep. They are so worried oftentimes about how they're going to come across in a dating situation that they'd rather almost just avoid it altogether and wait for someone to fall into their lap (laughs) than possibly offend someone or come across as a jerk. Like I don't get the guys who are trying to run game and, uh, you know, be pickup artists. I don't attract those kinds of guys as clients. (laughs) Nice. Um, luckily I'm getting the nice guys, but they're being like too nice. The good men, the unassuming, I don't want to impose. I don't want to make her uncomfortable. So what's your advice to them? A lot of times it's, it is trying to work on their confidence and just help them understand that everyone who respects other human beings has this thing inside of them. That's like, I just don't want to hurt someone. I don't want to offend someone. And that's okay. That, that just, just treat that as part of your foundation of how you're operating. I'm going to treat people with respect. And know that if you're moving through this world, treating people with respect, you're most likely not going to come across as a creep. So it's okay. Like, let's let that messaging go. Um, So then at that point, increasing their confidence, trying to help them understand how to share what it is that they're looking for. Um, I love hardballing. I love dating with intention, but learning how to say what you really want can be hard for a lot of guys. So -hmm. that's often where our work goes to. So I find you know, now that I'm, I'm helping women understand the difference between a selfish short-term thinker and a generous long-term thinker. One of the things I have to teach them is how to recognize that a good man is the one who's not going to try and move in on you physically. Mm -hmm. And we have this mentality as women. And I had it myself. Whereas if he's not trying to jump me, he must not find me attractive. And that's just so far from the truth with good men. The more they like you, the more, the less likely they are to try and jump you. And in fact, Mm -hmm. after two and a half years of my husband pursuing me and then me saying, I want to start a relationship with him. So actually starting a relationship two and a half years later, after two and a half years of me sitting on his lap in a strip club, let me tell you, right? (laughs) After two and a half years of that, And I said, I want to start a relationship with you. Every time he would go to kiss me, he would say, can I kiss you? Every time he wanted to put his hand on my waist, he would say, can I touch you? 
But so it'd be, can I touch you? And he put his hand on my wrist and he said, can I kiss you? And then he would kiss me. Hmm. And it, it like, it was like the first couple of times like, yes. Right. Because it's like, yes, you know, two and a half years of like, right. And like, I had fallen in love with him. And so it was like, yes. But then it's like time number five. And I was feeling annoyed. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, own me, claim me, take me. But so I felt annoyed and I was like, fuck, this is annoying. And then I, you know, the voice, right? Capital T, capital V, which thank God is <laughs> like says smart things, sometimes smarter things than I even dare to think of. The voice said he, he needs you to give him permission. Mm-hmm. And like, I was giving him permission instance after instance, right? But he needed the blanket permission. I yeah. hadn't given him that yet. And so it clicked And the next time we were together and he asked me, I said, you don't need to ask me anymore. When you want to touch me, you touch me. When you want to kiss me, you kiss me. You never need to ask anymore. And that's what he needed was that permission. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, yes, watching your TikToks, I knew that you were a stripper and that's how you'd met. And that's just such a beautiful story to like hear about your courtship and how it evolved. This is, I, you know, people say, did you use the no kissing for three months dating with your husband? I'm like, yes, accidentally. Mm-hmm. And we fought for 10 years. We broke up a few times. I dated other people and I used it on purpose. And because I used it on purpose, I ended up not kissing the people that I dated because he won me back before I kissed them. And because of that, I'm in the right relationship. No kissing for three months has helped me be in the right relationship. I would never, ever, ever alter this rule. Mm-hmm. Minimum three months to get to know you. If they want to negotiate that time, tell them to take a fucking hike. I'm so interested to like learn more about this perspective because I have had some of my clients order your book. Um, I told one this last week actually to order your book because I'm like, you know, if what you've been doing hasn't been working. Let's try something new. I'm not saying whether I a hundred percent buy into it or not, that doesn't matter. What I think about this approach isn't necessarily what matters here. What matters is, does it feel authentic for you? Can it alter the way that you've been approaching men and how you've been putting yourself out there? You know, if, if you have had a lack of boundaries in the past, I think it can be really hard to think, oh gosh, no kissing for three months, mm-hmm. especially spoke to someone recently who said that they would like some support because they've actually never had sober sex the first time. They don't even know what that looks like. Right. So if this, if the people have been moving about the dating world with having very few boundaries, no kissing for three months can seem like an eternity, mm-hmm. but I completely understand your perspective that you're saying someone who's this selfish short-term thinker, they're not going to stick around. They are going to try to renegotiate and they're probably going to try to renegotiate quickly. Yeah. The fact that a, a high quality person, a good human being who understands respect and boundaries and actually likes you for you is going to stick around. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Let's go back into sex here. Yes. Couples with mismatched libidos. How do we deal with that? Oftentimes. What a lot of the, a lot of the approaches out there tell you to do is to scale it down to whomever has the lowest libido. So that person with the higher libido has to meet the person with the lower libido where they are at. It's often recommended. And I do find in practice, it works best when you just take sex, like intercourse 
off the table for a little while. Usually the higher libido person is not happy with the amount of intercourse they're having anyway. So, you know, they're kind of like, okay, well, what's giving it up once every two or three months. Anyway, we're not doing it anyway. And especially when you're talking about scaling it back to sort of starting over, like you hopefully did when you were courting where it was like, let's hold hands, let's cuddle, let's kiss, let's kiss for no reason. Let's make out, let's mutually masturbate and sort of that buildup that we might've had when we were in our younger dating days, like court each other sexually again, do something like a, a will want, won't list or a yes, no, maybe list. Those are out there as well. I love this will want, won't list I have found because it's two parts. It's the benefactor of bliss and the purveyor of pleasure. So the giver and the receiver, mm. because sometimes you enjoy giving something, but you don't really like to do it back. Like maybe you want to suck on toes, but you don't want to have your toes sucked. Um, so that kind of lays out the differences in what you'll give, what you'll receive. I think it's really important to look at the maybes because perhaps those are fantasies left yet to be explored, but they had to be in a specific way. So I would do this, but only if it was under this, this, and this condition. Right. Maybe we'll go to a swingers club, but I don't want you to touch anybody there. Exactly. Yes. Perfectly fair, by the way. In fact, you know, working in a strip club, uh, <clears throat> opportunities for some vajay, you know, that certainly as a bisexual, oh my God. Oh, it's so fun. So fun. Mm -hmm. I love my life. Right. I love my life. Um, and so certainly there was times when we had like a girl from out of town and she's like all flirty with me. And, and I, you know, I call my husband, there's a couple of times where I call my husband, I'm like, Hey, so there's this girl, she's really hot. She's all over me. I can bring her home tonight. Um, and, and so I did, by the mm -hmm. way, but the rules were you cannot touch her. Like we're all in this together. You can do whatever you want to me. I'll do whatever, whatever to you, but she's off limits to you. You can't touch her. You're not kissing her. You're not touching her. You're not putting anything anywhere on her. Mm -hmm. and, and so again, bring it back to how sexuality can be on your terms and that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think way too many adults don't understand what is okay for them. They don't understand what they really do like, yeah. or they've got some judgments that they're placing upon themselves for fantasizing about something or, or doing a certain act. You know, a lot of people, especially brought up with purity culture, yeah. a conservative, you know, upbringing can stop a lot of people from simply being okay with the fact that they like something that's completely normal, that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people all over the planet do as well. Yeah. But there's some messaging inside of them that's telling them that they're dirty or it's wrong or good people don't do that. Right. So I love helping people let go of some of that messaging and really exploring like whose voice is telling you that you can't or shouldn't do these things. Right. When I talk about the no kissing for three months dating rule and, and women will say, nobody's going to wait three months for first kiss. And I say, who told you that? And they don't even have an answer because sometimes the messaging is so pervasive. Mm -hmm. You don't even know where it came from. It's in the ether and it just sank into you without yes. somebody having to stand in your face and shake a finger. That is one of my favorite questions to ask people who told you that, who said that. 
it's the introduction to critical thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say to somebody who's in a relationship, there's a mismatched libido and they say this, it's not fair that they don't want sex enough for me. It's not fair to me that they don't want enough sex. At first, I think I would empathize with them and say, like, if you signed up for a marriage or a relationship that included sexuality, you are both, you signed up as sexual people and the contract, you know, the agreement is we will have sex as part of our, our relationship. If that was very, very important in the beginning, was that laid out? Was it not? Was it simply just, oh, we just, I just thought this was how it was going to be. So conversations around that at first about like, I get what you're, what you're saying that you feel like it's unfair, but what was the contract? Okay. If this was the rules that you all said, you said like, we are, you are having sex all the time for the first year and a half. And then all of a sudden, maybe you have a child and now there's no sex. They can't relax. They're too busy. All those things. Beyond the contract, it's also, what are you doing to accept the changes in your life? Inevitably, couples who are no longer having sex have had some sort of a major change. They, they move, they change jobs, they had children, things like that. Yeah. Um, yes, health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then it's looking beyond the, the initial contract. What have you done to change? What have you done to grow together? You know, and if one person is taking care of all of the mental load in the house and the other person has not participated in that, that can be a libido killer for the partner taking on the extra mental load. So that is also something that we look at beyond that. It's maybe there was just a mismatch at the beginning and one person didn't communicate about that. You know, Mm -hmm. can that be mended? Can it be remedied by communicating about it, renegotiating the contract and say, well, I didn't sign up for kink. But what you like, I, I think I could get into. Like sometimes we have to have conversations about that. Mm. But my favorite thing about coaching is it's so individualized. Yes. You know, it's very experiential and it's all about what that client needs in the moment. But it does often boil down to communication. Yeah. It's just <laughs> there's either been a lack of communication, they haven't heard what's actually been said. Um, or they're the misunderstandings that can occur when expressing your fantasies, especially if you're not listening with an open heart and an open mind and wanting to understand it can, it can be a real downer for a lot of relationships and then, then it kills the sex. Yeah. If people get too involved in their own thoughts and emotions and really aren't considering the other person's thoughts and emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I certainly get the question about sex often enough. Um, And one thing that I like to say is that there's a difference between sexuality and intimacy and sexuality is something that you can satisfy yourself. You don't, you don't need the other person to satisfy. It's called masturbations. Yes. Um, You know, thank you, born hub. Right. Uh, And so you, you can satisfy your sexuality. You don't need the other person to satisfy your sexuality, but intimacy in my teachings should be a daily occurrence. Sexuality in the beginning is hot and heavy. Let me tell you, girlfriend, we were doing it three times a day, me and my husband, three times a day, right? Like, I love the three times a day section. Oh yeah. 
we were new. We were excited about each other. We were young. We were in our early 30s. Let's go. Right. And so three times a day, it absolutely. Here we are now. We're 49. My husband and I are the same age. We are 49. Work, stress, fatigue, hormones, tired. You know, he works from seven in the morning until 1230 at night. Right. We're not doing it during the week. And so we are weekenders. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I might have partied on Saturday night. So Sunday, I'm not so much quite, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready for it. Maybe Saturday we're too busy. Sunday we're too busy, right? Stuff happens. We might have sex every weekend. We might miss a weekend or two, but we are intimate every single day. And my prescription, because this is what I say, intimacy is, should not be dependent on the bedroom. Mm -hmm. intimacy should not depend on how many times you have sex intimacy should be a daily occurrence and do not make sex a numbers game because that's when you pull yourself into a dark place yes we're not hitting the numbers we must not be okay so get away from the numbers game because you need to take into account the factors the fatigue the stress the kids the work blah 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 Mm -hmm. hormones but intimacy should be every single day minimum two kisses a day minimum five seconds each. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Intimacy has to be the intimacy is something that you do to string things out throughout the week and keep the coals burning. And I think so many couples forget to keep the kiss as a primary function of their intimacy. Yeah. Like my, listen, I say minimum two kisses, minimum five seconds each. My husband and I certainly go above and beyond that. And when we kiss each other, it's like we are holding our bodies close in. Like I'm, I'm, he's pressing me into him. I'm pressing me in, you know, and, and like I'll put my hand behind his head or I'll stroke his cheek. He kisses me intimately and lovingly, right? And so our kisses are charged. Mm-hmm. They're very charged with a lot of closeness and intimacy and sexuality and attraction and desire. Like there's so much communicated in those kisses and, and it really bridges the gap. If you're having sex once a month, you're still feeling like, like there's a, there's a consistent band Mm -hmm. between those occurrences that keep the juice going. Yes, absolutely. I'm my partner and I, he and I make out all the time. Yeah. I love kissing that man so much. And yes, we're definitely doing the two minimum, at least two kisses per day, five seconds yes. or more. Um, and it's very much the same way that I feel like there's so much more to it than I am just kissing my man. Like yeah. we, we are taking time to focus on each other. It's, it's not fleeting. It's not, we're passing each other in the hallway. We definitely do the pass and like, love you kiss, but that's, that is so rare. And it's just because we just passed in the hallway, but we made out 10 minutes before that. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we're always touching and like with permission, obviously we've established the consent. Right. Um, but you know, a pat on the butt or like a squeeze or like a grab and kind of like, you know, hold me and like swing me and things like that. It's, yeah. it's key. You have to have things that are more than just passing. It's, it's, like your relationship feels more beautiful, more solid, more close when it's not just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, the yes. bedroom, when you were, st- you know, you're, you're, you're knitting 
from one bedroom moment to the next. And it's just, it feels like you don't lose an ounce of intimacy in your relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've definitely had clients who have said that like they don't understand what intimacy looks like without having intercourse every day or each thing leading to intercourse. Mm-hmm. And women get frustrated, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, can't he touch me without it leading? Like, like they get to this point where it's like, fuck off. The moment, mm-hmm. the moment he puts a hand on her, she immediately goes into fuck off because it, it just, the only reason why he touches her is because he wants sex. Yep. Right. So I had, a, I had a, a guy complaining that, you know, she doesn't want sex very often. He's like, I massage your shoulders. And I'm like, are you doing it to get sex? Because if you are, you're missing the point of creating touch that is intimate without it leading to sexuality, meaning she's mm-hmm. more receptive to your touching. Yes, that is absolutely key. And that is totally what happens. If If you are only initiating some form of intimacy with it leading to intercourse, you're doing it for absolutely the wrong reasons. That's not actually building intimacy. And that is not building like an environment that's conducive to consistent pleasure. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to get a byproduct and end result. And there's the, the, the psychological leading to intercourse. Like, you know, I massage your shoulders and I don't ask for sex. Yeah, but he, listen, we don't need to be in the same room in order for us to communicate. I can think about my my best friend and a minute later, I get a text message and a phone call from her. I know when you're massaging my shoulder to gain a brownie point, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> right? I know when it's a manipulation, even if you're trying to convey it's not a manipulation. I know it. I yes. know when it's like... You know, my husband kisses me because he loves to kiss me because he wants to communicate through his kisses how much he loves me, period. He's not kissing me in order to butter me up so that I'll have sex with him this weekend, right? So we mm-hmm. know when we're not being manipulated. We know when it's just genuine out of caring. And we know if you're doing it to butter us up to get to the sex. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we do. And that's what ends up shutting things down for a lot of people because they don't want to play the game, especially mm-hmm. when it's the male doing this and the female is starting to shut down yeah. because if she knows that she opens up the door, even just a little bit like, okay, if, I'm not really in the mood for intercourse right now, but maybe if we just like made out and I, I gave him a blow job, but then it creates a fight if it doesn't lead to what he wants. So she's just shutting down rather than fighting. Yeah. And that's, it's completely unnecessary because if people, especially men could just simply understand that sex is the umbrella thing, right? And there's so many acts underneath of that umbrella that you can do. There's so many things that feel good and bring you closer together as a couple and are beautiful expressions of sexual desire. Intercourse is not the end all be all. Right. It's just one aspect of pleasure. I think it's harder for men to understand that because we are built differently, right? Like a male fertility cycle is 24 seven. They're designed eager, designed eager to put it in. And like I studied trans men to better understand sexuality. And Mm -hmm. when, when you've gone from estrogen to testosterone, 
And you listen to those experiences of that heightened sexuality that comes with testosterone, looking at a photocopier and getting aroused, a red car drives by on the street and they get aroused and they describe it as like this almost like a grinder sexuality, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. And, and so I think that's why it's very black and white for them is that sex is fornicating and women, because our fertility cycle has that stop to it. We have a two day fertility cycle. So everything really relaxes with us to the point, even like as a stripper, when I'm fertile and if I'm in that fertile mode, I'm making more money. Cause I'm like, yeah, right. Like, I love that you correlated that. Oh girl, it's not just the pheromones coming off me. It's I'm in it. Like, mm, I got it. Let's go. Right. And they're picking up on that because you are literally selling sex at that time. You're fertile and it's like, mm-hmm, right. And, and they, they feed off of that. Whereas if we're not in that mode, if we're in like the PMSing and I'm like, mm, you know, like they're picking up on that too, that kind of an attitude. So we are very nuanced in our sexuality, whereas they're like 24 seven. And so I think it's easier for women to introduce nuance of sexuality to the male mindset. I think it's less natural for them to go into that thought process. I don't know. That's my theory. What do you think? You know, I think one thing that helped me understand, I guess, how to get men to get it was understanding Emily Nagowski's dual control model, the, the brakes and the accelerators that, you know, we don't just get turned on, that there are things that turn us on and there are things that turn us off. And it's sort of a, an equation, you know, calculation of all these things to see where we're at and how turned on we are. So I, once I've had a lot of couples clients read this book together, it's a lot easier for them to understand like, oh, okay, this thing really pushes on her breaks or his breaks. Let's try to remove that obstacle or let me see what I can do to alleviate that. And, you know, this is the accelerator. How can I induce those things? How can I make sure that we're pushing on that gas? Uh, I think that that model helps people really get over some of the stumbling blocks and get on the same page. What, what has a man put on the brakes? Uh, especially stress. Stress uh, is the biggest thing. If he's got like a, a big deadline at work, he's finances for either per- person. Um, but that can definitely kill it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stress is just a big time libido killer for everyone, but that's usually the biggest one that will get guys. And the thing is too, when it comes to anxiety over their sexuality, men are often much more performance-based uh, whereas women are much more appearance-based and their anxieties over it. So we get upset when our bodies change or don't look like what we want them to, or we're worried about societal standards, or we've seen what he's been liking on Instagram. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to compare ladies. Let me tell you, there's no reason to compare. Correct. My search on Pornhub is what I would never want to have happen to me. Okay. (laughs) There is no reason to compare. There's no reason to compare. No, (laughs) no, there's right. You were right. I don't say this enough. I cannot say this enough. There is no reason to compare. And the man who loves you 
loves every bit of you. And in addition to that, they're not built the same way we are. We as women notice fine detail. They don't notice fine detail the way we do. So that's yes. sunlight and the graying. They're not in a little bit of pudginess happening in the middle. They see, they see the woman they fell in love with and you are unchanging in their eyes. And I'm talking about genuine love here. Yeah, absolutely. If I could convince every woman that I work with that men have the most wonderful rose colored glasses in the bedroom. Like they don't see the zit on your butt. They don't see your stretch marks. They don't see the like five extra pounds that you are worried about or 20 or it doesn't matter. They are just like, this is the person I love and this is their body and this is their vagina. And I'm about to get laid. Yeah. That is all I really care about. They don't see any of the other stuff that we are worrying about for our appearance. And then again, for men being worried about their performance, erectile dysfunction, especially losing your erection is something that I find is really, really like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Once it happens once it's more likely to happen again because they get in their heads about like, okay, well, last time I wasn't able to maintain my erection. So I know I got to focus really hard this time. And oh, there it goes. Okay. It's gone. Shit. Yeah. And then it happens again and again and again. So So then they get in their heads worrying about, is it going to keep happening? The way you deal with it, the moment it happens has a major impact on what's going to happen after that. So my Mm -hmm. husband, after two and a half years, the first time we went to go all the way, um, he had, he had a moment, right? He, he had the erectile dysfunction moment because he was afraid that after two and a half years, I had built him up into something he could not attain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not that we communicated that in the moment, by the way, because when it happened, I was going down on him when it happened mm-hmm. and it happened. And all I did was go back up to his head and start over with the kissing. And so my, my face and my hands went back up to his head and they stayed around his head. And I just stayed there for a, like, I just stayed, I just stayed and I enjoyed kissing him and being intimate with him. And he got back into it and it came back Mm -hmm. and I went back down and then it went back down. He lost it again. And so I simply repeated that. I went back up to his head and I pretended that all that existed in the world was his head. My face, my hands were there and they just stayed there. And then, you know, sliding across his shoulders, down his arms, across his chest, over his back, but staying away from his genitalia because I wasn't going to focus back on there until he was back in his head in the right place. Mm-hmm. And when he got back into the right place, then we went back at it and he was fine. And then we communicated about that sometime later. And I was like, what happened? And he said, I was worried that I wouldn't be what you were expecting me to be. And I was like, baby, don't you ever worry about that because I don't expect anything because I'm not making a story inside my head. That's going to disappoint me if it doesn't come true, because that's what an expectation is. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. You did exactly what I recommend for clients. 100%. Because what you did was you got him, when you say you helped him get his head in the right place, I really think it's more that you helped him get into his body in that moment. You know, we do tend to either 
lose our focus on what's going on or lose our erection. I mean, if we're women, it's not like we have an appendage that shows when we're suddenly not turned on or in the moment anymore, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get in our heads and start thinking about our to-do list or what we forgot for work or the kids. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So I'll, I'll be that we're, sometimes it's that we're getting in our heads and we're not focusing on something that's going on with one of our five senses. So really what you did is you just helped him use some mindfulness techniques, which was, okay, I can't, I'm lost. I've lost my direction. Okay. Like, Ooh, this feels really good. Let me focus on this sensation and what this experience is right in this moment. Yes. You you got him refocused on the right thing. And so now I kind of like along the same line here, but now we're 49. That was in our early 40 and early thirties. I mean, now we're 49. And now what I notice is you know, we'll be like in foreplay mode and then I'll, I'll feel him start to go softer. Mm -hmm. And I think this is age. I think this is aging bodies. I think this is hormones, right. Testosterone levels lowering in this human body. Mm -hmm. And so when I notice that happen, I switch it over to intercourse. What do you think about that? Um, yes, you, I think you're probably right. That it's just an age and hormone thing. Uh, the number one influence on erection strength besides like getting out of your head um, is actually vascular health. So something that a lot of people don't recognize as being really, really helpful for men as they age, they think it's just more of like a gimmick or it's about increasing size, but a penis pump can be really, really helpful for men as they age. We totally acknowledge that we, as we age, we will get plaque buildup in our hearts you know, we're worried about that, but you get plaque buildup in every blood vessel. And All of your blood vessels get plaque buildup. Penis are, the, are the, the smallest ones. Yeah. So imagine if you got any buildup in there whatsoever, it could simply be a blood flow issue. Mm. So a, a penis bump is not just about increasing size and girth. <laughs> in fact, yeah. that's the, the least of the, you know, effects of it. It's really simply about clearing out the blood vessels breaking up all the plaque and the buildup that might exist in the penis and then allowing it to function as it should. So a penis pump can break up plaque. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just knew yeah. I love this. Yeah. Penis pumps come in a wide variety of uh, price ranges, but I do generally, generally recommend the one that uh, is like automated, not the one that you pump up with your hand. <laughs> The automated settings are intended to like run through a cycle. Uh, it should never be painful for the wearer. It should just be like just over the verge of uncomfortable. If you ever use a tens machine where you put the pads on your muscles and it does a little electrostimulation, yeah. you, you do that to where it's like just a little uncomfortable, but not painful. Cause then it will subside a bit and you'll feel more comfortable with it after a few moments. Penis pumps the same way. So they, they pump it up to the point of a little discomfort, let it run its cycle. They only need to use it about three times a week, five to 10 minutes a piece. It's just sort of like a piece of exercise equipment. So, uh, you know, I mean, I was going to ask, is it pleasurable for the man? But if it's a little bit uncomfortable, I'm thinking maybe not so much. Yeah, it's definitely not. I think a lot of people have the perception that penis pumps are for getting you off, Mm -hmm. that they're intended to be the substitute for a hand or mouth. And the pump is really just that medical device. Where there are strokers that can do the other job, but yes, two separate devices. Yes. Okay. 
And then, the, and then when I ask what are the most common questions that you get, right? We touched on single men, we touched on couples. What about the single ladies? Oh, single ladies. I definitely have my fair share again, especially here. I'm in the Midwest in the United States in Kansas city. I get a lot of people who had conservative upbringings and they are worried about how they're going to be perceived mm. out in the public, like in the dating world, mm. um, or they've been perpetually single for a while and they just aren't finding what they're looking for. And they're kind of like, where are all the good men? Yeah. <laughs> So I I think a big part of what I'm helping women know is that yes, good men exist. They are out there. Um, Let's shift the way that you're approaching dating so that you make sure that you know how to recognize Mm -hmm. who those guys are. But, you know, a big part of the work for single women is helping them simply understand what it is they really want in a partner. I often have them roll through a list of 60 things that they want in a future partner and people are like, Oh gosh, 60, that's a lot. And you know, how, how minute of a detail are you getting down to? And like, the thing is a list of 60 things really gets them thinking about stuff and they make them always frame it in the positive, not what you don't want, what you do want. So if you don't want someone that voted for Donald Trump, you don't say don't swipe right. If you voted for Trump say do swipe right. If you're progressive, right. Right. Yeah. Um, but then also getting them to hone, hone in on some things. If they say that they want someone who's kind, what does that really mean? What does that look like? They're kind to you. They're kind to their family. They're kind of strangers. You know, what does that really look like in practice? So getting them to understand how do I start recognizing behaviors? Um, and I train a lot of people about looking for consistency. You know, you're sort of gathering data over these first couple of months of dating somebody. And what you're looking for is how consistent are they within this window of behavior? Because if you start all of a sudden seeing a bunch of outlying behavior, like, oh, they don't usually lose their temper, but they've, they've really been losing their temper lately. What's, what's going on? Were they just putting up this facade of calm, cool, collected? And now the true self is coming out because if after two to three months, You're starting to see inconsistent behavior. Most likely that person hasn't been already showing up authentically. And what's actually in your view right now is who they really are. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yes. Yeah. So I think also getting women to understand quality over quantity for dates, that it's okay to filter more people out before you actually give your time and energy to someone else. Yeah. And that that's not being picky. It's about being discerning. Agree. You know, you're trying to like take the lessons that you have learned along this path and actually get out and apply them and date differently. So if you keep getting out there and doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting the same result. And if you're in your thirties or forties and you're single, it's time to do something different. Shake it up a little bit. <laughs> I love that you bring me into that conversation with them when you're saying that. Absolutely. I was so glad to find you on TikTok because like, again, my work is more focused on the sexuality piece and, you know, how do they really take charge of that and then get out and date. But, you know, on some of the dating stuff, I was like, I know what I believe when it comes to dating, but I need some experts. <laughs> so I appreciate you serving as one of those experts that I can like, bring in what you have to say. And it, it makes sense to me. I love you being here as one of the experts too. Where can people find you? 
Well, I am also on TikTok at Coach Kristen, which is spelled K-R-I-S-T-E-N. And I am on all the, the typical social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter at Open the Doors KC. I'm on Facebook at Open the Doors Coaching. And I do have a podcast as well, just audio. Um, it's called Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. Oh, thank you, my love. I appreciate you. We are definitely doing this again. And we're going to have a little bit of an audience with us next time. Thank you. I will look forward to it. I love you. Make sure you have an amazing day. You too. I love you as well. Take yeah. care. Bye. Bye.